Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mirror mine, mirror mine You twist and turn my mind Until I don't know who I am Mirror mine Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am joined by Johnny Cochran. How are you doing, Johnny? I am very well, Pete. Um, you know, obviously I was at the game yesterday and... It just feels nice. It feels nice when football can just give back to you sometimes. The years, the years of suffering at the hands of United. I I struggle with United probably more than any team. Now, obviously, there's the Tottenham rivalry. But since the days, you know, of my peak, um, you know, fandom, like the days when we were winning things, we had amazing teams, the Invincibles, United were always the menace. They were the ones that we had to... Um, overcome and and that stuck with me to be honest I still even though we're both shadows of our former selves you know on current form it still means a lot to win over them and they have got away with it so frequently with us in the past when we should have been um you know just seeing them away so it was nice for Arsenal to tr- to finally bare their teeth and quite frankly just put a very poor United side to the sword Johnny, before we get into the actual game, um, your ticket came via meeting um, meeting men on the internet. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, something that, like that. How, how did it go? Was it fun? Uh, it was. It was. Um, and uh, there was a, a, a lovely man. His name's Tim. Um, also known as, let me get his uh, handle right. Um, it is... Uh, he does the Life in Red and White podcast, I believe. So give that a little listen if you guys can. Always like to um, like to spread the love. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah. yeah, no, top bloke. Add me along with him. I'm a mate, and uh, we had a, a great time. Quite frankly, I mean, when you when you're sitting there and you've got the opportunity to see Arsenal beat United at home and look at the tears rolling down. People like Fernandez's face. It's lovely to see. Just have that, mate. Metaphorical, of course, but gutted. You d- you got what you deserved. It was great. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, let's just, we've got no man like Matt Candela today, so let's just steam right into the hottest of takes. So, um, it's interesting, actually. Um, on the last pod, I was talking about the fact that I think we had to lean in to the chaos um, if we were going to get over the line. At the end of the day, we have to roll the dice and go with the unexpected or, or you know, the... Um, the 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 option that we don't know what the outcome's going to be rather than the predictable outcome of just doing more of the same which was seeing us go nowhere and that has obviously seen us uh, bring Eddie and Ketia, in, and Ketia into the team and we've obviously really benefited from his legs his running his enthusiasm and you know he does look a little bit dangerous in a way that Lacazette hasn't for about five years now, quite frankly. So um, always good to see that. But it's also, um, I believe, perhaps embodied the most in Nuno Tavares's, um involvement. Now, I know we're going to get onto him in a bit, but this is a man that is the lord of chaos. He, he literally lives for it. Nuno Tavares is the kind of guy who, when he leaves his house, has to return to make sure that he's left the iron on. He wants chaos. He invites it. Do you know what I mean? He, he, he's not trying to play safe. He, he's like, yeah, I'm going to leave the iron on and see if my house is burned down. Because guess what? I'm Nuno Tavares and I'm always rolling the dice. Always. Um, because with one hand he giveth and another he taketh away. The guy is so chaotic. It's, I mean, in hindsight, when you've won, it's very fun to watch. But... When you are watching the game, some of the stuff the guy's doing is shaving years off Gunas' lives. Like our hearts are all getting tested. The penalty, we'll get onto it. What in the world? But, you know, at the end of the day, he went, did I score, though? Did I score, mate? Did I score? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've leaned into the chaos. We've leaned into uh, Captain Chaos himself, Nuno Tavares, and it's starting to bear fruit, and that's great to see. My uh, yeah, my my hottest of takes is uh, is making the margins count for Arsenal for once. Was that the best performance of the season? Absolutely not. Um, but did we go out there with a mission and did we deliver on it? Absolutely. Like uh, people talking about luck. Like when was the last time Arsenal, you came out of an Arsenal game and you felt we rode our luck there? Missed penalty, handball in the box from Cedric, hit the woodwork. Um, I can't remember one. So to come out of a game against that United side, um, I'm really in a in a moment where I thought Man United could have uh, could have rode a, a narrative, and the narrative that was in my mind, and I, I don't know whether this sounds crass, but it's a Cristiano Ronaldo is a monster athlete, loads of stuff going on in his personal life. When he scored that goal, I, I thought, okay, the next goal is probably going to win the game because if it's if it's a Ronaldo goal. He's scoring a, another hat trick and he's taking us down. And he and, and I've got to be honest about Ronaldo. He was absolutely superb yesterday. Like what a player. 37 year old, 37 years old. Ben White and Gabriel were absolutely panicked all game because his movement and, and his touch just absolutely exceptional. But when Bruno stepped up for that penalty um, and, and he missed, you just knew you knew what was going to happen. That had shades of Martin Keown over Rude Van Nistelrooy. So uh, Arsenal riding their luck. Uh, it, it, it felt it felt big, and it, and and it was all about what happened on Wednesday night. Everybody wanted to be on that pitch. Bukayo Saka was injured. 
uh, and every, everybody wanted to fight. Everyone wanted to be part of it because I feel like the players now are sensing it, that they can get top four. So uh, an absolutely huge uh, win. Super exciting. Loads to talk about. So um, let, let's move on to uh, Nuno. There's a lot of people are saying that he's the second coming of uh, Emmanuel Bouet. Uh, he's, he scored a goal. Uh, he got into fantastic positions. Uh, he was kind of at fault for not really following for one of the goals. He had a little bit of everything. Is uh, is was our is Arteta sort of saying to the fans, "You you asked for this, so this is what you'll get." Is he punishing us for doubting what he sees in training every day, or you know, after the game, Mikel Arteta did come out and he said, "Listen, you're not out on the pitch. You don't know what it's like to to be there, and we've got to work with these kids." Has Arteta turned a corner? Um, where do you stand on Nuno Tavares uh, moving forward? Is this something that is this? Like, do we keep on rolling with him? What's the deal? The reality is, I think I think we have to keep going with this guy. Um, I talked about how chaotic he was, and look, let's let's kind of dig into it a little bit more. You hinted at some of those points. This is a guy who scores a goal, which was an absolutely key goal for us in terms of settling the nerves down, asserting our you know dominance over United because we went on a little run after that, obviously getting another goal not long after, where it was like, we we hurt them. You know, that goal, we hurt them. You could see their heads dropped, and they are in such a vulnerable place as well, um, kind of confidence-wise, that when you start scoring goals, they haven't got an answer. They were, they were punchless. They had one guy yesterday who was ultimately a different gravy, and we know who he is, and he tried to do it again. But luckily, we, you know, we, we managed to you know, uh, gang up on him, gang hand him uh, enough to be able to get over the line. But Tavares, um, as I say, did score that goal. And I, and I have to compliment him in the fact that for anyone who didn't want to see Tavares in the team, this is what you're missing out on if he doesn't play. Because if we have a more traditional left back in that situation, a guy like, you know, if we had Cedric over there, and which we may end up going on to do. Tommy Asu had come in and played, for instance. Cedric would not be in that position to score the goal. This is what I mean about the chaos. He's crazy enough to just be like, I'm just going to go up front for this bit, peg it into the box. All oh, right, the ball's been spilled. Way I've scored a goal. And, you know, I was getting dropped a few weeks ago and I'm, I'm, and I'm it's Roy of the Rover stuff. And then all of a sudden, he forgets himself and just doing some mad shit on the, fit, on the pitch. First of all, I mean, the, his contribution to the goal, yet again, like, it, it, it's, he, the, what I guess I'm trying to dig into is the fact that he may well score you a goal, but he'll concede you goals as well. We just have to hope that through his overall um, positivity from the attacking point of view and coherency, because he is a massive outlet, even if he's not scoring or necessarily assisting, he's giving them something to think about. And I saw, you know, the terror on some of the United fullbacks and wingers' face when he's just rampaging, marauding around. It was lovely to see, really was. But on the same note, what's he doing for the penalty? What are you doing? Why are your hands up there? I cannot, I cannot stand it. Right, I know like players will sometimes give away penalties for handballs, but there's a difference between if you're trying to block, you know, block the ball, like get yourself in the way and your hands away from your body, it's frustrating. And you're like, you know, keep your keep your hands in. 
But when a corner is getting whipped in and you're jumping with your hands above your head, you've got to literally, you know, get a slap around the face. And so what are you doing, you clown? That is, it's just, I cannot abide by it at all. Don't get your hands above your head when you're jumping. Like, what are you doing? Uh, anyway. Very Nuno, though, isn't it? What? How did you give away a penny? Headed the ball into my hand, didn't I? Like, yeah. Oh, ex- oh you like, headed you, the ball into your own hand. <laughs> your hand's up there. Yeah, it didn't need to be, did it? Yeah, but just it's Nuno, isn't it? So do you do you do you think um, do you think Nuno is scary because of his physical prowess, or do you think he's scary because United players are like, what the what the fuck is a left back doing here at this stage in the game? Why are you here? What are you doing? Yeah, this is what I mean about leaning into the chaos. This guy is doing stuff that, you know, it's a hindrance in the fact that sometimes our players seem like we don't even know what he's doing. But the fact is, is if no one knows what he's doing, the opposition don't either. He's he's causing problems and it's giving them something to think about. Whereas if we had gone for a more kind of traditional backline with, say, Cedric out there, we're not going to get the same attacking impetus because... Because of that energy, because of that, um, those physical attributes, and because of that, uh, like approach to the game. However, one of the ways that we might try and mitigate the risk that he provides, and this is my final point, and Nuno kind of thing, um, is some would say, why don't we go like, for instance, when we're free at the back? Um, I saw a wonderful tweet today uh, from who is it again? Um, I'll check anyway, but uh, he basically has uh, essentially used the Austin 316 from WWE and made it a holding 352. Said, I just kick your ass or, or shut your ass down. It was great. Lovely little um, lovely little uh, use of that, of the old Austin motto. But anyway, if we played Nuno Tavares as part of a back five or with a back three, if you like, I think we mitigate against the risk that he... Um, costs us goals because essentially he will create, you know, he will he will not completely do his job defensively. We know that now, but we can't get caught out surprised by it. So in certain games where we do need to attack, we are going to have to win these games, remember. It's, it's not like we should be going in conservative. We are going to have to win them, but then that may be that we have to switch to a 3-5-2 situation or you know, playing holding from the start or, or or certainly, you know, maybe even from half time um, to be able to mitigate the risk of, of, of um, Tavares costing us dearly. Yeah, it's, there's um there are definitely a lot of parallels um, with Emmanuel Bue. And if fans don't remember him, you know, I think he, he came in as a right back, um, always prone to a gaff, um, but quite a fun player to watch. And he was very good going forward. And then Wenger decided he's too much of a risk at a right back. So he put him forward. And then Abue had no end product as uh, in that sort of right winger position. And I feel like Tavares has got a bit of that. And it, it, listen, he's really young. And I think that his mind races. Um, you know, he's almost got that kind of ADHD, like his mind is going too fast for the world around him. Um, but there's something there. And if he made better decisions yesterday in the final third. Um, if he could keep the ball down, I mean, he really struggles to keep the ball under the bar. It's a consistent theme that he picks the wrong choice in front of goal. But you can learn how to be a good finisher. Um, I think he's got a pretty decent cross a lot of the time. But if if Arteta can teach him 
how to defend and to sort of calm those nerves. Um, you could have a you could have a good backup player, but I I think the reality of Nuno is at the level we want to play at with the cut you know with the player that we've got ahead of him. You actually you actually can't have chaos as backup left back because that that chaos will be twenty games a season, and then you know Arteta's probably going to have to look at does Bukayo Saka go over to the left? Does Cedric go over to the left? Or do we have to, you know, stick with a back five? So I I think there's something with Nuno. He's got a bit of that. um, Who's the Wolves guy who just went to Barcelona? Adama Traore. Yeah. You know, he's got, he's got the engine. He's got, uh, he's, he's got physical tools. Not many players in the world have, but he doesn't have the control um, around it. But if, you know, uh, he's young enough to go on a season's loan somewhere and learn the ropes so, um, but I, I think I think we're probably going to need to get a bit of a backup left back in in the system, or just have more robust cover so that we sort of mitigate the risk of having to have uh, Tavares in the side for for long long parts of the season. So um, let's move on to a fairy tale story. Um, I'm gonna I want I want to I want to talk about Granite Jacker. Uh, you've been in the stadium. You were in the stadium when Arsenal fans savaged him um, after he did something very stupid against uh, Crystal Palace. He nearly went to her to Berlin. Mikel Arteta came in and he said, no granite, come under my bosom and we're going to make this better. Arteta has found some very interesting roles with him over the last two um, two seasons. He's very underrated because he does a, you know, a very particular job. He serves the ball between the lines. He's actually a very brave player. Um, but he's still prone to doing stupid things. Uh, he's been sent off quite a few times this year. Um, I, I think he's being bullied by the referee. And then recently he came out and he basically said, <laughs> fans have been shit to me, uh, but I love the Arsenal. When he scored that goal that no one expected him to score, talking to players doing things that they shouldn't be doing, Granite Jacker from 30 yards out, what are you doing? But he scored a screamer and then he blew kisses to the fans. Was was that a uh, was that a moment? Is that going to be something? You know, when we look back on this season, if we if we hit our targets, is that a moment where it's like, damn, Arsenal fans have come full full circle with the club that they love? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we are going to come on to him later. Uh, um, Saka, um, I thought he was superb and man of the match for me for his overall involvement. But I think he only just takes it. From Granite Xhaka. I thought Xhaka was absolutely exceptional yesterday. And this is the thing about him. When he plays well, when he's on form, he absolutely is, you know, he's cut from the cloth. He he is of the level required. He looks like he's got a great range of passing. He gets his foot stuck in. Like you say, um, you know, it's not always been evident or it's been somewhat diluted by the fact that he has these brain fart uh, moments so consistently, but he is he is a brave guy. He will. The thing is, even when Granite Xhaka, um, you know, has has had those moments and those falling out with the fans, and they've somewhat turned on him. It's rarely because he's not tried. He always tries. He's always trying to do his best and trying to, you know, make the difference. But sometimes he just fucks it up, basically. But I think that 
I'm still overall not sold that Xhaka is necessarily a player that you could win a league with. I don't think he is. I think there is a potential to upgrade there. And I think it's something that we should be looking to do. But if Granite Xhaka's in and around your squad, like a backup for when party goes down or whatever, you absolutely could win a league with that. Like Xhaka, Xhaka yesterday, I thought was better than anything United had to offer in their midfield by a long, long way. And I mean, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a little. I'm going to push back a little bit on what you were saying about when Granite Xhaka's getting on the edge of the box. And you're like doing things that he shouldn't be doing. Xhaka's got a decent hammer foot. Like he can do that kind of thing. You know, yes, sometimes they can end up in the stands. But look at Lacazette shooting. He's a striker. You know what I mean? Like Lacazette can't do what Xhaka done yesterday. That's that's dead and gone those days. And Xhaka always has that potential. I mean, we even saw in the build-up to um, the uh, Chelsea game, uh, a little throwback to that free kick he scored a few years ago, which was just, you know, top corner. He has the technique to be able to execute at a higher level, um, but we just don't always get to see it. And, obviously, if all our game is, um, you know, all our attacking potential ends up with Granite Xhaka having to shoot from 30 yards, then we're not really firing on all cylinders. We've got much more attacking flair throughout the team who we'd like those chances to fall to. But every now and then, a few shots a game, I mean, he he makes, you know, he puts Thomas Partey to shame. (laughs) When you think about the kind of results that Thomas Partey's been dishing out, when he gets his shots away from 30 yards, Xhaka is, you know, miles more competent in situations like that. But I do think that, you know, there is a potential corner that's been turned with Xhaka. In, the, in his repatriation into the club. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> it's getting, it's getting, it, you, you, when every, everyone can kind of sympathize, I guess, or you might be able to, in the fact that they might have a family member, a family member who is a bit rogue, does some stupid shit. And sometimes, you know, you wouldn't necessarily choose to spend time with them. But at the end of the day, they're your family and you have to account for it. And after a while, Granite Xhaka is family now. <laughs> he's been here too long. He's he not has, just yeah. some, you know, he's not just some kind of transient player who's popped in and out like a mercenary. He's part of the furniture. Get used to it. I'm, I'm used to it now. And he caught is the, the cause of so much ire from the fans because I guess we feel like we've been here before with him. We, we know that he can fold. But at the end of the day, in games like this, if we're going to, he was instrumental in our win yesterday. And ultimately, if we do go on to get top four, that win will, you know, I'm not sure there is a bigger win than that one we got yesterday. So one way or another, Granite Xhaka would have been very instrumental in helping us get top four. So, you know, I don't know whether he is going to leave or not. I certainly want to reiterate, I do think we can improve upon him in terms of a starting midfielder. But being in and around the squad, he can absolutely be there in the next iteration of the team if, if he's up for it. Because when he plays like that yesterday... You know, it's it's a sight to be old. He was fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those points. Granite Jacker had ninety six percent pass completion rate yesterday, which is exceptional, absolutely exceptional. And um, I, I just think that his mental toughness is just off the scale. You know, imagine knowing that a big chunk of the fans think that you're shit, and you just turn up <laughs> and do your job uh, to a, to a high standard every week. Um, and we we needed him to be focused because he's our best midfielder right now with Thomas Partey gone. And 
you know, it, th this is why everybody was annoyed that Arteta put him at left back um, in the, you know, when Thomas Partey came out because Granite Jacker needs to be in that midfield next to somebody. And um, I'm, I'm glad that he got that goal. It felt, um, felt really deserved. It was a brilliant reaction from the fans. Like that, that glorious sunshine. I just felt like everything went right for us yesterday. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't necessarily think we need to sell Grant Jacker this summer. What we need to do is find a, a higher level player and then just keep get Granite Jacker in the squad and make sure that we've got good people rotating in and out. And actually think that the the case study for that is, you know, Rob Holding was part of events yesterday, last last season, that you know, was the third best in the league. Then we bought better players and now Rob Holding rotates in and he's part of the squad. And I think when you're a top four side, if we're a top four side or even a, a side that goes into Europe, there's going to be a lot of games that go around next year. Um, if, if Arteta is going to learn to do anything this summer, it's, he's, he's got to remember there are players that you can rotate in and they will do a good job. And if players feel like they're valued when they come in, they're more likely to hit the ground running rather than two or three games. Because, um, you know, I, I think we should move on to uh, another midfielder um, that uh, had a fantastic game. Uh, Big Mo. <laughs> Pyramid Pirlo. Uh, I, I think he's been absolutely exceptional. What what sort of lunatic uh, doesn't play since December, gets the call. It's like, by the way, uh, we want you to be in central midfield against the European champions. Uh, then we want you to see if you can get us a win against Man United at home. Oh, and we haven't beaten a big team all season. How do you feel about that? And he's just like, send me in. Send me in. He is the master of breaking up play and just playing a simple pass. And he just he just doesn't stop. His engine is absolutely out of this world. So um, I wanted to get your take on, on Big Mo because, again, he's another one. It's like you should have had more minutes through the season. Uh, you know, you, sometimes a, a, a win might turn into a draw. But if you'd rotated El Nene into the side a little bit more this season and uh, Tavares, maybe you don't have Tierney and Party out at the moment, and it's a little bit easier in going into the final games. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought I think it's only right that we give Mo some love because he certainly deserves it. And Liverpool have somewhat coined the phrase "the Egyptian king" for Mo Salah. You know, the second best Egyptian in the Premier League. But let's be a little bit more authentic. You know, we're talking Pharaoh, Pharaoh Mo. He played like a king yesterday and he was he was immense. And, the, you know, look, at the end of the day, we have these relationships with players in the Arsenal uh, community where, again, we, we get frustrated that they're not necessarily up to the level that we would hope them to be to take us, you know, over the line. But at the end of the day, they've never stopped trying. They've never stopped giving us commitment. And Moel Nini on his day... Can handle it with any. He can. He can. He can mess around with anyone. He is that good that he can, you know, really shine against top quality opposition. The problem comes in when we're not necessarily playing against uh, top opposition. We're playing against poorer opposition where we have to play on the front foot and be a little bit cuter in and around the box. Um, and sometimes he he lets himself down in in those areas. But you know. Let's not focus on that at the moment because he's, he's just come off the back of an excellent game. He was sensational with um, Xhaka in there. And when you look at it, Man United 
were in danger of, well, they were very clear, but basically if they had won yesterday, they would have been back in and around the top four hunt and, you know, trying to certainly finish above us. But they are, whilst in a similar position in the league, their squad situation, their club morale is in absolute disarray as opposed to Arsenal. Now, whether or not you like Arteta, um, I don't think it kind of matters on this front. You can see that the players are behind him. They are trying for him. And that the likes of Moel Nenny, who haven't, who maybe could have got more playing time, and, you know, that is a legitimate criticism of Arteta, they haven't give up on him. They are trying. Every time they're going out, they're getting the nod. Tavares, who was treated quite poorly a couple of weeks ago even, he looks like he's trying. They're all, they're all still bought into it. Whereas United are a team that they don't know what's going on. And barring one world-class talent, they, you know, Fernandez had a stinker yesterday, which is hilarious. So I, I won't give him, I won't fluff his feathers so much. But barring uh, Ronaldo, they have a lot of ordinary players who, when they get put, you know, under pressure, they will down tools. You know, the likes of Scott McTominay might, might run away and kick people, run around and kick people. But he's got no class at that level. When it when it starts getting um, you know, into a tense fixture. He, he he crumbles like the rest of them. Whereas you look at our backup players, we've had Elneny coming in, we've had Cedric stepping up. They are putting in serious shifts and they haven't let the levels drop as much as some of us feared that it would, particularly after those poor results. And we thought we might end up in a bit of a, you know, a whirlpool, just thinking, you know, getting worse every week. But I thought Elneny has come in against some of the toughest opponents you're going to get in the league and looked every bit at the required level. Um, he's been superb. And, 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 you know, I think that all the fans sometimes need to just acknowledge that and give these guys the love that they deserve because I don't think that there is a, another player necessarily who has gone about his task at Arsenal with as much diligence and as much kind of honour, if you like, um, dignity, honour, dignity, yeah. exactly. Even even Classy when it was quite guy. clear he wasn't particularly part of the plans and was potentially going to get shipped out, he's always give his best. So shout out to Big Mo, Pharaoh Mo. Um, that was a king's performance yesterday. Yeah, and I actually think your um, your point about the culture at Arsenal when the uh, you know Vinay's culture workshop came out in the media. So many people were immediately like, this is a reaction to Mikel Arteta's culture problems. And it's like, no, actually, it's 100% not. It's all about the corporate problems that Vinay's got. It's not about the sporting culture. Because I bet you those corporate uh, consultants, I bet they'll talk to Mikel Arteta um, and Edu and you know some of the backroom team. Because the culture at Arsenal, you can see it. Everybody gunning for each other. You know, like... Uh, there's no sulking out there. And uh, watching Arteta walk off the pitch with Mo Elneny yesterday, you could see that they've got um, they've got a really good relationship. And um, it was just funny. It's, it's funny. All of these players that Arteta's kind of neglected this year, he comes out in the press conference after he's like, Mo Elneny is incredible. One of the best players in the world. And you're like, why have you left him on the bench this season? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because we got the win and the players were, um, the players were fired up. So let's... Um, Let's talk about some some stocks that are potentially falling. I don't want to I don't want to bag on people too much. Yeah. Because before we get into this, I want to say everybody uh, f- when we lose, everybody fails to take into account. This is a young squad. 
of players and they've not won things before. They've not been in top four high-pressure moments uh, in the past. And you can see the nerves jangling. Like, I don't think Arteta is like, hey, our fifth gear is utter chaos. I think it's chaos because everybody feels the situation. And some players are dealing with the pressure really well. And some players are not dealing with the pressure as well. But it doesn't mean that they won't get better off the back of it. But I do want to flag clubs Ramdalian. Is it starting to lose fans? Because Aaron Ramsdale looks like he is in a little bit of a rut. He's not catching as many crosses as he was before. His kicking isn't quite as sharp um, as it used to be. And that aura that he had at the start of the season, uh, it doesn't look like it's there. He looks like a sad Aubameyang at the moment. Um, and I suspect it's because he's he's rock, his confidence is rocked a little bit because um, maybe he believed his, his own press a little bit much. So I wanted to get your take on uh, Ramsdale. I don't think he did well for the first Chelsea goal. Um, I, I, I don't even think he did well for the Ronaldo goal. I'm not sure that he was off his line quick enough, but... Um, Love to get your take on what's gone wrong with Ramsdale and what are the people in the stadium saying? Um, so just before I even get into Ramsdale, um, just to piggyback of your intro into it, uh, I thought that was exactly right about the pressure. And just to give a little bit, this is what I meant to say under the Xhaka uh, subject and to give him a bit of love. It got very tense in the ground yesterday. There was a period we come out for the second half, you know, and you could see... Players were giving the ball away. Some players were essentially going missing. And, you know, obviously you got Nuno Tavares doing the wild thing out there as well. And you don't know how to accommodate for him as part of your team. But in those moments, when the fire gets the hottest, the leaders will emerge. And yet again, I thought, to, to give him his flowers, I thought Granit Xhaka, not only through scoring that goal, but his overall aura was immensely calming, and he stepped up and he led. You know, there, there, there is a classic saying, not all heroes wear capes. Well, not all captains have armbands. And Xhaka, oh, in that moment, yeah, you know, you, the poetry was, rolls quickly. Was, oh, I feel but, romanced. But we have got, we've got a few captains without armbands. Saka the other day when he picked up the ball, banged a penalty in, you know, and he did it again yesterday. You know, we'll get on to him, but I love the guy. It's just too much for me. Um, Erdegaard stepping up as well. He has the, he does have the armband, but, um, or has worn the armband. But I thought he, he leads as well, by example. But Xhaka, more than anyone yesterday, potentially, well, with, with Saka anyway, um, really stepped up when it was getting a little bit away from us and did what needed to be done and put the final nails in the coffin on United and showed that, no, actually, we're not we're not spooked by you guys. We're just better than you. Let's get over the line. But to, to then come back to the slight negative, I, I would drop Ramsdale now. I would, I, straight up, I, I think he's earned the bench. He looks shaky, mate. He looks really, really shaky. And this is what, you know, and I'm happy that he started so well. And I'm happy that the... Ramsdalian fraternity was born. Um, but this is what I was worried about when we actually signed him, the shakiness. I, this is what I used to see when you're, you're talking about Bournemouth and Sheffield United. He would have amazing games, 10 out of 10 games, keep everything out. But then there were other games where it was just like, he he, he comes flapping at things. He's He doesn't look confident. He absolutely was at fault for the Ronaldo goal yesterday. It's not, a, you know, the thing about judging the keeper, 
it's not always, did you make a massive mistake? No, he didn't make a massive mistake per se for the Ronaldo goal. But it's one of those where it's like, in this moment, good keepers save that. Not everyone can. You know the bottom half um, of the league, their keepers don't save it. But good keepers save it. You know, the big ones. Edison comes out, does it. Um, Allison, big saves. De Gea even, big saves. And Ramsdale was showing us that earlier in the season. I do think, you know, he has the potential to be there, but he's simply not playing at that level anymore. And the only reason why I would say to keep him playing, rather like the Tavares experiment, is that we at least get to play the same system, which, you know, for all these people asking for Saka playing left-back, um, you can't take our best player out of his position. We've got to try to do the things we do well. Well, we have to keep trying to do that. Um, and whereas... Oh, sorry, it's more of a, a left wing-back. I mean, Saka was imperious against Chelsea playing as a right wing-back. So where where you still get to do the same attacking things, but then you have to play three at the back. So, you know, is that sacrificing, especially against a team like West Ham who are going to batten down the hatches? But Saka plays well everywhere. You know, he's just excellent. Part of his, you know, world-class potential is the fact he's so versatile. But what I'm saying is, is play your best player in his best position. Yeah, he's going to be decent there. But are we going to get the best out of Saka? And at the moment, he's our most dangerous player. So I would say don't move them. And also, the reason why I bring this up is because with Ramsdale, he does add something with his expansive passing. Obviously, he's starting to look shakier on the ball now, though. He, he, he's getting flustered. He's doing things, giving the ball away in ways that he never was before. And now it seems like what he used to add with his range of passing and his ability on the ball is starting to become compromised. And if you double that up with the fact that he doesn't look good in term, from a shot-saving uh, situation. Maybe it's time to give Leno a couple of games. Like he's not going to be as good with his ball at, uh, with the ball at his feet. But at the moment, he he look he looks like he'd be better from a shot saving point of view. And our margins for error in this running are so small now. We've got to go in and get the job done. We're going to be playing against. It looks like West Ham's kids in the middle of their two crunch fixtures in the Europa League. We hope we hope that, but we can't be get, doing anything stupid. We have to you know, put our best foot forward, stay as solid as we can and hope that we can put those guys to the sword. So, yeah, I mean, it's getting to the stage where I think Ramsdale's due, due a drop-in. Do you know, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree. He's got to find, he's either got to find some form um, or maybe take a little bit of time on the bench because um, let's not forget, Burnt Leno was absolutely fantastic against Aston Villa. Uh, and nobody, nobody is above getting dropped in this side. I think, but uh, you know, he he will. Goalkeepers get better with age, generally. So he'll learn a lot from this season. I think a lot of people are saying, "Listen, he's he doesn't look entirely fit." But if he doesn't look entirely fit, then take him out. If he is wincing when he's diving because he's got a bad hip, then take him out. Don't 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 have him conceding goals he wouldn't normally concede. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting one to watch. Uh, a lot of people saying in the comments right now, Chelsea and West Ham uh, are nil nil at the moment. Is 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 third opening up? I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, just broader defensive issues because the patterns haven't changed. We're conceding too many goals at the moment. Ben White and Gabriel 
must have had Cristiano Ronaldo posters on their wall as kids because they looked absolutely petrified of Cristiano Ronaldo um, yesterday. I thought it was, um, you know, I think they improved in the second half, but Ben White looks rattled and I can't work out. And Gabriel at times, you know, he's he's been a bit all over the place, tries to do too much himself. Do you think that this is, again, it's just experience, it's pressure, or is it uh, something, you know, much simpler? Is it that when you don't have Tommy Asu uh, on, on your right and you've got Nuno Tavares just doing whatever the fuck he likes on the left, is is that is, is that the problem? Because I can't I can't seem to pinpoint what's gone wrong with uh, Gabriel and Ben White because they were much better at the start of the season, and since they got the you know the call ups to international squads, the plaudits in the media, you know the second coming of Virgil Van Dijk and uh, Matip, like. It's got it's gone downhill. It's not good. Like we are not reliable at the back right now. What do you think's gone wrong? Um. So Ben White is is a worry at the moment. He is um he is looking. You know, everyone can have poor games, but he looks out of form at the moment. But what I would say about Ben White is the pa- the passion is there. You could see how elated he was towards the end of the game, like when you're in the ground. It, like when the when the penalty got saved, obviously Ramsdale as well, um, being able to offer that passion, jumping in um, Bruno's face, reminiscent of Keown on Van Nistelrooy. It's lovely. That's what you do to United. You know, get up in their face and they will wilt. I love it like spinach. And um, the thing is, is I think that Ben White, on the other hand, like I wouldn't suggest he got dropped, for instance, because part of it is. You know, uh, you know, and I, I appreciate there's a lot of people in the um, comments suggesting that it's a bit harsh talking about dropping Ramsdale. I get that. You know, um, you know, I'm not like that should absolutely happen. I just think it should be on the board now. And like you said, I think anyone, n- no one is above getting dropped. But it does look like defensively when you look at Gabriel and Ben White, they are two of the guys who look like they're feeling the pressure the most. Um, Nuno Tavares li- lives for moments like this. He doesn't care anyway. Um uh, Cedric looks a little bit shaky when he's um, getting involved at the moment as well. And obviously, Tommy Tommy Asu coming on at the end there is very encouraging for us and arguably he should just go straight back into the team, obviously based on you know, what they know about his injury. Obviously, I wouldn't take risks with him. It's just not worth it. But if he can play, stick him in the team because I think the point you made earlier there is, is true. Um uh, not to necessarily excuse poor form from Ben White and Gabriel, but try to understand it. And when you look at the changes that the squad's gone under in the last, you know, the, the playing squad, I should say, in the last couple of weeks, we've gone from losing our best midfielder, who unquestionably was part of, you know, the, the newfound solidity that we had. He cleared up, Thomas Party clears up a lot of that danger before it gets to Ben White and, and gets to Gabriel. And so they can often meet the pressure and meet the, you know, Ben White steps out into a lot of his challenges and can take the ball, but that's because party's hoovering around in there. So him being out, as well as El Nenny and Jack were yesterday, has somewhat unsettled them, I think. And obviously when you, though Cedric has been very game in his um, deputisation for um, uh, Tommy Asu, he, there are limits there. Also, from a uh, from a defensive point of view, not least because when you think about what a monster in the air Tommy Asu is, you know Cedric is just not built that way. 
Um, and you, you obviously have to defend a little bit differently when Tommy Asso's in the team from when Cedric's in the team, which is what you would expect from having a starting right back and a, and a, a you know, a backup right back, even though Cedric, again, Cedric has been decent. But um, at the end of the day, whilst I see that um, there has been um, reasons for them becoming unsettled with the chopping and changing and, and now Nuno, you would like to think, and I think this is something that they might grow into, um, you would like to think that our um, solidity and our confidence um, from a defensive point of view would come from those two. And it just looks like they are more feeding of the un- feeding off the uncertain vibes rather than giving the, those around them confidence because they are starting to struggle a bit. But who knows? It could be next season that Saliba slots right in and, uh, you know, certainly at this stage should be told that he will be fighting for a first-team place. And John, you know, Johnny, I have it on very good authority. Saliba will definitely be back fighting for his place next year. So you do not have to worry. Your little Saliba ultras don't have to start <laughs> pecking. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that there is um, – I think there's a few things. I think Ben White getting called up to the international squad definitely rattled him. I think that there is – when you are young and you are sub-25 and everyone's telling you you're incredible – um, sometimes that goes to your head uh, a little bit, and then I think that there's some of the injuries around it. And is it? And Johnny, it's not even just injuries, is it? It's um, it, if the midfield in front of you changes, it's just different, and then you have to adapt. And you know these players haven't played with each other, and it's like you know everything has uh, uh, first order consequences. I believe they call it. So hopefully those two will pick up a little bit of form. It's interesting. We, you know, this is a live podcast, and Chelsea have just nicked a win against West Ham. But the good news for us is Craig Dawson got sent off, and that West yeah. Ham don't have any centre backs. Perf- <laughs> perfection, perfection. Um, okay, so let's um, let's go to the slides, Johnny. You know um, that I love putting these slides up. This is look at this beautiful, well-constructed slide. It's United. It is after the whistle, um, but let's move on to slide two. If you're listening on the podcast, um, just some interesting stats. Uh, we can talk about Eddie and Ketia after, but Arsenal had seven shots on target yesterday. It, Johnny, it feels good to have a striker that actually shoots and does striker things. It's, it's such a small, such a small tweak in the system. But having a striker that wants to be in the box and wants to have a pop. And make a darting runs has definitely um, definitely moved us forward. Man United had five shots on target yesterday, which is way too many. Four of those five shots on target were uh, classified as big chances. So uh, to, to to come away with just conceding one goal, probably got to th- think ourselves a little bit lucky. Um, but you know we had more possession um, against United at home, and I, I think it was a. I'm not sure it was a deserved win. But it's not a, a it's not a total. Oh, you definitely didn't deserve um, anything out of that. We had some great chances, and I'm even thinking about um, some of the crazy Nuno skied shots over the bar that, with a better left back, probably would have resulted in shots on target. So stats looking good. Oh, 100. percent And you know, I mean, I, I, I think you're just being diplomatic, but I think you might be being a bit harsh in the in the sense that oh, I'm not sure we deserved it. I definitely thought we deserved to win. I thought we were better than them. They, they had chances, but all of our making, basically, there was no times where they were just carving us up. It was just Keystone Cops defending, a, a, a roaming left-back doing whatever he wants, a keeper that looks low on confidence, giving them opportunities. You know, it, at the end of the day, we created the chaos um, that 
resulted in most of their opportunities. I definitely think we deserve to win, though. At the end of the day, someone someone said, like, first of all, to give Eddie his flowers, it is so key, as you've just said, Pete, to actually have a striker. Whatever you think of the limitations of Eddie, and I think I also think they were on display yesterday as well. I think a better striker gets a few goals for us yesterday with some of the chances that he had and could have had. Uh, but ultimately, what it does for the team when you actually have someone who's a willing runner, who's like a rash, just playing on the shoulders of defenders when they're low on confidence, trying to play around at the back. And he's just like, all right, I might not be, you know, as quick as Thierry or as strong as Giroud, but I'm just going to annoy you. And if you fuck up, I'm going to score. How about that? You know, and he will give the defenders nightmares. The character yesterday, because Eddie and Ketia lives in certain defenders' nightmares, he now may have to be called Eddie Kruger. He is li- <laughs> he's living, he's feeding on I bad that, dreams. Yeah. He's yeah, he, he he's a nightmare for defenders, Eddie Kruger, and he. You know, looks like he's going to meet. He's going to shout out to Bonesy, who came out with that, by the way. Um, basically, he looks like he's going to be able to give us that energy. And I thought that overall, we certainly deserve to win it. And you know, when you think about what Saka was doing to their um, to his his fullback, it absolute skinnings all the time. It was it was they should have called the fight off because Tellez was just resorted, obviously, to rugby tackling him for the penalty. And in general, just constantly needing help. He was being terrorised by our best player. And I thought that if we had gave him the ball more, one of the, one, of the, one of the only criticisms I would say for the way that we set up was that in the ground, I could see Saka was constantly wide open. I know you just can't use one player all the time. You have to at least, you know, show the right and the left to be able to keep them guessing. But... It got to a stage where it was like, at some point, you're looking, you're going, we all know what's going on here. We've got a right winger who can have this left back, you know, on toast when he wants him. Let's just give him the ball. And I thought that we missed that opportunity quite a lot because Saka was basically, you know, just having his way and doing what he wanted at will yesterday with um, Tellez. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a really positive result and and deserved. So let's move on to, oh my God, how did that get in there? <laughs> oh, we're, we're looking at a rogue slide of Antonio Conte at the 1994 World Cup, um, overlooking a nil-nil Spurs result. Johnny, um, I know why Matt Candela isn't on the podcast today, because he lavished praise and said Antonio Conte is just a better manager than Arteta. Sure, I get it, you know, on, on the face of it. We'll go with it. But Matt candela has got to tell me how one of the greatest managers of all time has managed to register zero shots on target against Brighton and Brentford. If, the, if, if Arteta had done the same at this stage of the season, I know exactly uh, what your hashtag would be, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. I mean, like, Brentford battered Spurs yesterday. They battered yeah. them. If they had a better striker uh, in their team, they would have won that game yesterday. They were thoroughly deserving of more than a point. Um, but it's good to see that Spurs are having these problems at this stage of the season because um, now they go to... I think their next game is Leicester. You never know yeah. what you're going to get with Leicester. I mean, Leicester can lose 4-0 or they could uh, nick a 1-0 win. Um, they're so inconsistent Le- Le- this season. Leicester will be a big problem for them. Let's, let's have yeah. it right. They've got... 
Danger. Um, Madison's playing really well again. Um, Harvey Barnes causing problem. And Lookman seems to be playing as well, um, causing carnage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, I think that they are... What is giving me encouragement for uh, in our in our race for fourth is not just the form or the resurgence of Arsenal after it looked like we were on the absolute slope, the high, you know a highway to the highway to hell on that free game losing spree, um, is the fact that you know we all said it at the time as well. You can look at the games and try to you know predict how these things are going to fall out, but look at the situation. Our toughest games on paper have resulted in us winning. And the games that seem like formalities and ones we really needed to pick up, we've lost them all. And it's hard to predict because at this stage of the season, playing playing teams who are, you know, considered top teams that don't necessarily have anything to play for, that is an easier game than playing some team that are fighting for their life or fighting to get over the line in something. You can see it. Brentford are a form team right now. No one's going to want to play them. We've One of our toughest games, you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, West Ham away. Well, West Ham's B team, that looks entirely achievable with no centre-half. We should be winning that. But then all of a sudden you look at Newcastle away. That's not going to be a given. Newcastle are whacking teams up. And we're going to be going in there, you know, short-handed. And we know that. So looking at our remaining fixtures... Um, it's not necessarily the potential pitfalls where we might have predicted previously. It's surprising teams that are, you know, going to provide the biggest challenge. But overall, what is giving me the most optimism alongside our resurgence, it's the fact that Tottenham, any momentum that they had built up looks to have firmly drained away. And if you're telling me that Brighton can um, shackle Kane, I, I watched a little bit of the Brentford game yesterday and, Kane had one or two chances, probably more than what he did against Brighton. But if you could tell me that teams are watching those games and thinking this is how you keep them quiet, because largely, if you keep Kane quiet, you keep Spurs quiet. Son's a fantastic player, deadly finisher, but Kane creates everything. So man mark him, just stick someone on him. And if Leicester can do that and and they, they provide probably more of an a, a offensive threat than Brentford do going forward, they, as I say, they have got some good players. Any kind of drop points at this stage could prove terminal because what we're heading into after that, um, uh, those drop points at Brentford is if we, as I think most fans, um, even the most pessimistic ones, believe that Liverpool may well be taking minimum of a point off Spurs, um, but realistically should beat Spurs, then we could be heading, as long as we get our job done and we beat a defenderless centre-backless West Ham, then we could be heading into that Tottenham game not needing to win. We could get beat and still be ahead of them, which would be a wonderful position to be in. And I actually think that that would see us get... I think we'd beat them if we didn't need to... Like, if, if we uh, remove uh, the pressure, I think we'd beat them. But if there what? is pressure, we, we might find a few players who are currently struggling with that pressure. It gets exacerbated. Yeah, I mean, game, game it out... Uh... Just, just assume Spurs are going to beat Leicester. I don't like Brendan Rodgers is in that horrible Conference League thing, and that probably has a way back into Europe next season, um, and that's their only chance of getting into Europe. So then you go into Liverpool away. Liverpool are going to be in the title race. There's, there's no mathematical way that they won't be in the title race come that oh, weekend. Yeah. 
Spurs were absolutely terrible away uh, at Brentford. I, I give them very limited hope, even though they've you know they've done the business against City twice this year. Uh, I think that Liverpool, unless there's a massive injury crisis in the next couple of weeks, um, I think that they're going to lose that game. And if Arsenal can pick up three points against West Ham uh, and do a job against Leeds, uh, a Leeds that will be safe by then, then we're, we, you're right. You know, we could go, we could go into that game with um, five, po- five point lead uh, over Spurs, which would be absolutely exceptional at this stage of the season. And uh, listen, I know, I know Newcastle are doing well at the moment, but I think, I think the last good team they played was Spurs and Spurs absolutely rattled them, scored five past them. So, um, and they'll be in their holidays at that time of the season because they won't have anything to play for. Like, Good side. I think the the one that I'm a little bit more worried about is um, I don't want to go. I don't want to have an Everton game that's got a relegation zone um, on it. I, that's the one that worries me. But I do. Oh, I want it. I want it. I want. I want the fire. I want to send them down. <laughs> Listen, I I don't like Everton. I've I've realised how much I don't like Everton when dealing with this relegation battle because I've realised how much I want to see them relegated. I really do. And. I'd love Arsenal to relegate Everton. I really would. They've been in the league for a very long time, just like a pest. And I would like to see Usmanov's secretly owned club sunk into the championship um, and Frank Lampard to be rallied because that guy gets given far more opportunities than he deserves. But I want to make a point overall. Now, I was going to initially put this in the hottest of takes, but I got somewhat um, sidetracked. But... This is how I believe that a lot of Arsenal fans, well, in fact, I don't care whether they agree or not, but potentially they might see it in the same way that I do. And that is, when you look at the last five games and to reiterate the fact that we lost to the teams that seem immensely beatable um, and we lost three on the bounce and it was really disappointing. But then we've now strung together two wins against so-called big sides. If... You had offered me before those five games, you can lose three games to those teams and beat the two big sides, Chelsea and United, or you know, you lose to Chelsea United and win the three games. I'd have taken it this way round. And that seems a bit counterintuitive based on the points. But I believe that it was so key that we started to register wins against big teams that the overall net is a positive one um, because we now know that we can beat big teams. Even even ga- we had games against City where we absolutely were on, on top and deserved to win, but ultimately we didn't. You know, we lost. United, I thought we deserved more up at Old Trafford, and, uh, even though we got a lucky goal. But then we bottled it and Ronaldo did us at the end. It was key for us to sit there and go, you know what? We're playing Chelsea, European champions. We're playing United a... Uh, you know, a, a top four side perennially as well. And we've give it to them. And 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 don't come round here thinking you're going to rough Arsenal up again. In big moments, we're going to stand up and we're going to be held accountable. And I thought that was absolutely key for our, for our overall pro- progression. If we do get top four, the fact that we won these two games will, will see us in really good stead moving into next season because we know that we can beat and, and compete with big yeah, teams now. I, I actually think that w- if we'd beaten Brighton, Palace and uh, Southampton and then lost to United and Chelsea, 
we'd be on this having a conversation right now like what's going to happen against West Ham this could be three on the bounce heading into the most important part of the season whereas now you're like the momentum's going the belief is there across the full squad and we've got Tommy Asu coming back into into the side yeah I I, I agree with you and I, I think that there's another thing that's sort of doing the rounds at the moment and it's generally just bitter fans of other clubs or bit of there's a there's a weird section of the Arsenal fan base that because they're wrong about where this Arteta project is going, they, they're almost not enjoying where we are. And uh, they're saying things like, uh, worst top four race. And it's nonsense. There is no such thing as a bad <laughs> race for top four. Uh, like uh, Arsenal are on 60 points. We've got five games to play for. There's a max of 75 points to be had out there this season. I think last season, top four was 66 points. Chelsea. I think third was Liverpool last season. 67 points the season before it was a, a sub a, a sub 70 season the season before that I think it was like 72 or something this is a this is a proper top four run if we mm. make top four this season like just just the dimness the idea of framing well it's because everyone else was worse than you it's like yeah well of, of course like if, if Liverpool win the Premier League this season it is because everybody is worse but that doesn't dig, that doesn't downgrade what we're doing this achievement is a stretch goal. If we make this this season, make no mistake, this is a but this is beyond what even Arteta thought that they were capable of this season. And if we get top four this season, that vision that they have at the club of win, you know, competing for the title in two years becomes a lot more, a lot more palatable. Because we've done this with the youngest squad in the Premier League. We've done it without a recognized striker all season, and we're we're picking up points with an injury crisis that would down most teams. The system is there, uh, the fight is there, the culture is there. Like we are, we are very, we are much closer than people think. If you if you have a midfielder as good as Thomas Partey that you can rotate in through a season, we're not in the problem. Um, we're not having issues like we had in, in in those three bad games. If you have a striker that can bully, can get on the end of uh, you know crosses into the box and blow our system up. I mean, like. The, Martin Erdegaard has created the most chances since November. He doesn't have anybody. To, he hasn't had anybody to to, to target. Aubameyang was awful. Lacazette wasn't really a striker. This team, this team next season, when they if they add two players, just two players, we and and they're elite of the elite. We really do move into a position to take advantage of potential turmoil that is coming when Klopp or Pep leave City or Liverpool in the next few years. So. This top four race is ahead of schedule, but the benefits of ahead of schedule is the confidence that this team has going into next season is going to be through the roof. They're going to feel uh, like they're winners. Um, and I, I'm excited, man. I'm really, really excited about this. I think it's. Um, I think this little run has been really special. Well, you know, I don't agree with you on the, fa- on the fact that, you know, you perceive it as stretch goal. I see this as my goal, uh, you know, for Arsenal this year. For me to believe that we have the right man in charge and we're doing the right things. And I think that Pete, the thing is, is when you think about Arsenal football fandom in general, you can often get accused of being flippant or knee jerk and stuff, but that's because in elite sport, the margins are very thin. So the difference between what it could mean for our club, if we get top four and if we don't are massive. So of course, whether you finish fourth or sixth, might not seem like it might be a couple of points in the league, 
But yeah, guess what? That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And the reason why I would be very, very excited if we were to have got the top four, because let's be clear, let's make it very clear, mistakes were made. I said at the time, the fact we didn't strengthen in January was a mistake, whether we get top four but, or not. But, 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 but actually, it wasn't a mistake. It, I think like, it I think, was. I think, uh, I think it's completely the opposite. It wasn't a mistake, because if you can't get a player that's there for the next five years, it was. it's a mistake. And that's I, um, um, we will see that in the summer. You've got I to buy the best players. You've got I to buy the best players. I would say it was 100% a mistake. We could have... Probably, if not secured top four already, we'd be in a much more commanding situation with better better strength for the squad. That This is how I see it anyway. And I believe that, you know, if we can get through this, I'm not saying it was a, an insurmountable uh, position, but if we were to have crumbled, I would have seen it as being some of these squad players who have, you know, let's we, we are a Bruno Fernandes penalty away from potentially losing points in a game where, while Nuno Tavares scored, could have also cost us that. And so the fact that we haven't strengthened and we're having to play these people and just about, you know, skim over the line, is it's very tight margins. And if we can get away with it, I think the club will be in excellent shape. And an opportunity to strengthen in the summer again when we had a really good summer last year. And with the right acquisitions... I'm not suggesting that we'll be pushing for the league next year. I don't. I think that would be too far. But we could consolidate top four and absolutely start to, through putting up a much better fight against top four teams, coming back to my point about uh, beating Chelsea and United now, giving us that, us that encouragement and, you know, breaking down that mental wall. Um, I think we could move ourselves into a position where we are next in line to challenge the top two. And... You know, it, we'll see what happens with Chelsea. They are, um, they they look to be, you know, in, in a, having a, their own bit of chaos, and it's not going so well. But I think we would be really well placed to do that. So I hope with all of my heart that we can get over the line. And if we do, I think I really predict some great times coming back to Arsenal. And I think we've got every chance of getting over the line now, based on the way that things are. But you know, if we were to crumble, then no, of course it. It's, not only was it a mistake that we didn't. Strengthen, no, but yeah, but also... yeah, you can't. But you, you, you can't. You can't say. Listen, these. You put a goal scorer on an elite midfielder in this team. Are we ten points better off? Yes, well, I, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, we are. It's, it's, it is undeniable. We, we are. We would be ten points better off if we just played Eddie from January. Um, it is. It is much better for us to get the ideal candidate in the summer than by a substandard one in January. And if we get through to top four, the the club is the, the club was justified regardless. Because if you are going to spend 60 million and you spend it on a duff candidate, you're fucked. Because there's not finite amount of there is a finite amount of money. So the fact that we are gonna push that we are close to pushing forward. But even if even if we drop to fifth, that doesn't ruin next season. That doesn't change the equation. Put put a put a fifteen goal a season striker uh, in our team. What, what, what's our number one striker got this season? Seven goals. Put a fifteen goal striker in our system this summer and have cover for party. You're 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 making up those ten points. You're seventy five points. That puts you in the top four. So I don't I don't think it was. I, I think that we will look back on it and say, good job Arsenal didn't waste a load of money on Vout Vkorst or whoever was being bandied about because there weren't a lot of good strikers that moved around Europe. Because the best strikers are at clubs that were competing for things. There's always there's always players that you can you can find 
that are, you know, I use Tommy Asu as a, 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 a um, comparison. Like players who are not, you know, are playing in top leagues, but they're not necessarily fashion names who would have been available. You could have picked them up. And let's be honest, we are on a bit of an Eddie and Ketty love train right now, but I'm still not convinced that he is of the standard that we need. And I think we could have, you know, it, it wasn't a Vlajevic or Vighorst um, choice that we had. There were other... But, but, but it was, it was. We went for the most expensive striker we could get in January. And then yeah. we, we didn't get him. Like but, that, 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 that is ambition. That's not, that's not making a miss. That's saying that's who we want. And if we can't get Vlahovic, then who are the other strikers that we want in, in Europe? And if, it, you know, if you, you want the kid at Benfica, Benfica is still in the Champions League. But we can go back in for him in the summer. Like that, if, if there was an option, there is no way that Arteta wouldn't have pulled the trigger on it. Well, no what I'm saying is, is we clearly with Lajovic were shopping for our, you know, our first choice moving forward striker, a guy who was going to be our talisman for years to come. And that was, um, you know, synonymous with the fact that we put such a, a hefty bid in for him. Um, but as I said to you before, and I'll stick by, we could have signed our backup striker moving forward, someone who was going to get your 10, 15 goals, who wasn't necessarily going to be the main man in January. It would have been much easier for, to find a player that fitted that mould. And I don't think that we would have found ourselves where we are now. I think it would... We, it we would... have that striker. That's that's Eddie. Eddie well, is a 10... Ed, Ed, we'll, we'll look, 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 Johnny, no, there is no doubt in my mind he will be a uh, he will be a 15-goal-a-season striker minimum if he goes to another Premier League club. He was sitting on our bench. Right. And was... and I can I can respect that. Like I can respect you saying that. That's your belief. That's Arteta's fault. That's Arteta's I'm not sure fault. I believe that. But I, you know, if someone looks at it in that way, I can completely accept that point of view. At the end of the day, Arte, can and Ketia get five more goals to the end of the season and get us over the line? Because that's all it would take, I, I believe. Then, yeah, if you believe that's the case, then, you know, I, I, I'm pleased you do and you've got that confidence. I'm but, not completely sold on that as but an if you, idea. If you were to say... Who did Arsenal sign in January? We signed uh, the England under-21 that broke the record for goal scoring. You'd be like, fucking lovely, right? But we didn't. We didn't lean into that. And we, we went with a striker who was, who was so, like, had lost all of his powers. He wasn't even shooting in the end. If we, like, it's, this is Arteta's fault. Listen, you've been waiting for me to go at Arteta all season. I'm going at Arteta. He fucked this up. This season, he should have played Mo on anymore. Should have played Sambu Lukonga more. And if you'd rotated those players, uh, Thomas Partey wouldn't have been injured. Uh, Kieran Tierney might not have been injured. Um, it, the biggest mistake Arteta made this season was not giving minutes to Eddie after he was our best striker in preseason. That was the mistake. And uh, but if we get through, who gives a shit? <laughs> if yeah, we make yeah, four, I, who gives a shit? Hundred percent. I think we. It, it would be a re if we get top four, it would be a reset. Basically, it would be an opportunity to be a reset where we can say, right, we've got over the line. We are now, you know, being invited to classier parties. You know, the kinds of partners oh, yeah. we might be picking up there are of a higher standard. Do you know what I mean? And uh, quite and frankly, I think we, you know, we. I, I tweeted it the other day. It just speaks to some of my hilarity on Twitter, but I. Um, do believe that some of the people characterising it as a choice between Darwin or Jesus, Jesus, um, you know, it doesn't need to be a choice. It's not a debate around religion. You know, the fact is, is we can have both. We don't, we, there's room for Darwin and Jesus. You Johnny, know? I do want to talk about this as well. Like there's, um, 
uh, I, there's this assumption that everything certain journalists get is gospel. And this idea that all of these people that work in the, in, in the world of football don't put things to the media to play them. You know, you've got certain media journalists need exclusives and clubs want to, you know, they want to put things into the ether. I would be utterly shocked if Gabriel Jesus was our target. The profile is going to be a Darwin Nunes type striker because, we, you know, last last summer we tried to sign Tammy Abrahams, six foot three. Darwin Nunes, six foot two. We've registered interest with uh, Isak, six foot four. We're not going for a, a short guy. And I think the the Gabriel Jesus rumors, he's only got one year left on his deal. So I think his first thing will be he wants a new deal. And, you know, you only had to listen to Pep talk about him yesterday. He's like, I'm not talking about this now. He goes, uh, we'll talk about him at the end of the season. But I, I think um, I think the profile of striker is a, is a tall one. So I'd be very, I'd be surprised if we spend the amount of money that it's going to need to take him away. Because people are like, oh, 20 million pounds. As if Man City are going to let us have Gabriel Jesus for 20 million pounds. Regardless, they prefer to keep him on a free transfer. I think. I so know I think there'll, be, there'll, be a, there'll be a lot of links. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Dominic uh, Calvert-Lewin and Gabriel Jesus had five goals between them all season before yesterday. Jesus no. scored four yesterday, though, let's be honest. and He had and, a worse goal record than Alex Lacazette before yesterday. And Arsenal fans are like, he'll solve our goal scoring problem. What are we, what are we on? I want yeah, somebody he, with 22 goals. He also, when he's played striker, he has been decent. Jesus is a step up on Eddie and Ketia, mate. I know you've got to love him with the guy. Um, yeah, Eddie but, Kruger but Johnny, is... you, Johnny he, he had three goals, three Premier League goals up until yesterday. And you're like, oh, he'd be the good. He, he's in the most productive system in the world. And he had three Premier League goals in 26 starts or 23 starts. That is not who's solving our goal scoring problem. I'm sorry. No, but I think he would be, in my. this is how I perceive it. He would be more a backup striker to our main striker, like a Darwin, for instance. And you say it, like Eddie Nketiah, what though is in the last year, we'll still get some kind of fee for him because he was an academy uh, product. So if you can end up getting, I don't think Man City would necessarily sell Jesus on the cheap to anyone other than us. If Arteta gets on the phone to Pep and he, and, and, and uh, Gabriel Jesus says, look, but, I want to go. I, Johnny, think, I think he'd go, yeah, think, go on then. Think you're talking about getting invited to nicer parties. Jesus has been at the finest parties for the last five years. He's been drinking champagne out of the Premier League trophy. Probably going to win a Champions League this season. He's been an integral part of their system. And you think Arteta's like, mate, I've got this backup striker role and I think you're going to love it. No way. No, no way. It, he's it, got to be you, the main man if he's going. Go, go to you, Barcelona you or would, somewhere. You would position it like we're going to bring in a couple of strikers. You're both complete competing for, you know, um, a starting berth. But at the end of the day, you're playing Champions League football. We're not some mugs anymore at that point. If we can offer... He's got more chance of playing for Arsenal and starting for Arsenal over the next few years than he has Man City, who will be getting... Harland or will be getting Kane. Like when it's like Jesus, you're not playing. Whereas Johnny, even if we sign Darwin Nunes, 39 games this season, 33 goals, four assists, 22 years old, Uruguayan, tall, handsome, fast, a bully. That's what I want. There's Just... room for Darwin and Jesus. This is what I'm saying. There we Come into our stable. Come into our stable. <laughs> Um, okay. All right. Well, uh, we had a little transfer fest. That, for those that are listening, is a sign of things to come this summer because uh, we don't have 
uh, we, we don't have two weeks off at the end of the season. No, we keep on going. We keep on going and we will be here dissecting all of the transfer rumours as we go. Um, so don't fear that. Um, Johnny, I think that that about wraps up today. Have you got um, any exciting things that are going on in uh, in the world of showbiz? Just try to remember now. Um, no, but do you know what? We, um, I will more big up this podcast, which is just doing really well. We're so grateful for everyone that listens to it and, you know, interacts with us and, um, yeah, is supporting us. And, you know, we've we've had companies now reaching out, you know, potential kind of almost sponsorship advertising, you know, hybrid kind of vibes, quality companies. So we're moving up in the leagues and it wouldn't be possible without the people who listen to this. So thanks, everyone. And if you do want to keep supporting me in particular, follow me on my socials at iJohnnyCochran as usual. Yes, we had uh, our biggest uh, listenership week uh, through audio podcasts that we've ever had. So thank you for all of those that are not only listening, but you're sharing it with your mum. You're sharing it with your friends. You're putting it on those group chats and we appreciate you. And if you did want to do something a little bit extra, go onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating because we love those five-star ratings. Okay, Johnny, on that note, we'll say ciao for now. Thank you for listening. Podcast Network.